Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Literacy Podcast. We are very pumped for today's podcast because we have a special teacher who is just kind of foraying into the science of reading journey. So we can't wait to talk with her today. Melissa, I know you're pumped because it is a um, teacher. You know it. <laughs> I teacher. love talking to teachers. We love to talk with teachers. And she's Thanks. sitting in her classroom <laughs> right now, which is so exciting. <laughs> and also she's a kindergarten teacher, which, you know, is not, not my world. So I feel like I get to like learn a lot today too, which is exciting. For sure. And I think what makes, uh, we have Kristen, she's our special teacher today. Um, really special is that she's in her 11th year of teaching. So I think this will be relatable to a, a lot of teachers and leaders listening like, oh my gosh, I've been teaching for a decade and I'm just learning about the science of reading. What does this mean for me and my students? So mm-hmm. I think that she's going to provide some really important and just like really noteworthy information for teachers and leaders listening. And also I think it's kind of funny that I found her, Melissa, because I, I stalked her on the Facebook. She told a great story about her son. And I was like, oh, this is so good. You got tons of reactions. And I was like, I have to, we have to have her on the podcast. So that's great. Kristen, welcome. Welcome. Well, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be on the podcast. This is my first time ever getting to share on a podcast, so I appreciate the opportunity. And my name yeah. is Kristen Poppins, and I teach kindergarten in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And uh, like you said, Lori, um, the son, the story about my son that I shared, uh, <laughs> we were driving in our vehicle, and our town and our surrounding town is covered with signs that say, no wind farms. And my son is a soon to be second grader. And so he just finished up first grade. And I told him, I said, Jacob, look at that sign. What does it say? And he confidently replied, no parking. (laughs) In my mind, I'm thinking, what strategy is he using? Hmm. Um, Is he using context clues? Is he thinking, does it look right, sound right? It obviously didn't look right. (laughs) So we drove by another sign, the same sign. And I said, Jacob, look at that sign. What does it say? He said, mom, if it says no parking, why is there a car in the driveway? And then it just hit me like, oh my goodness, he's using the entire landscape as his picture power to identify and try and read this sign Mm. um, that that is decodable. Then I was thinking, okay, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. I snapped a picture of the sign at a later time and handed him my phone and said, Jacob, read this sign to me. What does it say? And he started saying, no end farm, no windmill farm. Is that right, mom? And it just struck me because he added mill onto the word wind. And then he had to appeal to me to clarify and ask if he was right. And to me, that struck me because I thought, wow, he's an end of the year first grader. And how many other end of the year first graders don't know how to read this line? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was just really heartbreaking because I 
would expect him to be able to read no wind farm with accuracy and automaticity. As an end of year first grader. Yeah, exactly. That's so interesting. And, but it's interesting that he like, could, he he did a little bit better when he had no context though, right? Like he at least <laughs> got that some That is so true. <laughs> yes, that's so true. And he started to try and decode the word, but then when he appealed to me, I thought, oh, you're yeah. not confident in your response. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's his story. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was such a powerful example. So that's why I tracked you down. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, I felt um, like a very kindred spirit to you in the way that my daughter is um, finishing third and going into fourth. And I often talk about her and give examples on the podcast And I feel like seeing all of this as a parent and then also thinking about it as a teacher, it, it just kind of in your face magnifies the problem because you're living with it. Right. And there's so much of it surrounding you all the time. And, and for me, that was a bit unexpected um, because I felt like, you know, I, I did want to trust that she was getting what she needed. And I did want, you know, I'm sure you want to trust that it is it Jake or Jacob. Do you do both? Jacob. Jacob. I bet that like you want to trust that Jacob is getting what he needs. And then it kind of hits you as a teacher who knows what to do and what needs to be done. Like you're like, wait a minute, he's not. And that is heartbreaking and really, really hard to swallow. Mm -hmm. It is. And I, and I think too is that um, the teachers and the principal they they trust that where how he is growing as a reader that he is growing, and um, there are just red flags that I'm seeing, and I wish that those would be seen too. But I think with not having certain knowledge of um, the science or the yeah the science literacy that has come out. Um, then it can make us want to believe what we're current, our current practices are true and what we're doing is successful. Uh, I might be pronouncing his name wrong, but I believe it's Seidenberg who said, the lack of scientific literacy combined with deep faith in the validity of personal observation creates vulnerability to claims that are intuitively appealing, but unapproved or untrue. And we want to hang on to a belief that what we're doing in our classroom is best practice. And sometimes we have to step back and, and ask, is it? It might not be. So yeah. It, We've it, always it, said that, right? Like all, all teachers want <laughs> to be doing what's best for their students. Like no teachers yes. get into the profession to say, now I'm going to do the stuff that doesn't really work, but... <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and when you're, when you're provided with t- resources that might have a deep belief on how kids learn to read, we want to believe that that resource that has been decided upon at a district level, that that is giving us the best information and um, where we don't really need to dig and do the research ourselves, where we can trust the leaders that are making the decisions to provide us these materials for our classroom um, that, that this is what helps kids learn to read. So we want to, uh, invest our time and our resource and energy into making the best of the instructional materials that are given to us. Uh, and 
and just hoping that, yes, this is, this is good. This is quality and not questioning it because someone else in a position above me made these choices to provide me with these resources. And someone probably told them that it was good for X, Y, and Z reason. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I think Melissa, I can see Melissa has a question because she's the the secondary person and she's like, I've got more questions. I I just want to learn so much from you, Kristen. (laughs) But I'm actually curious. First of all, I think it's really powerful for you to come on, you know, 11 years of teaching experience to come on here and say like, I'm learning new things and I'm, I, I, you know, I want to change what I'm doing. I'm wondering if there's any, um, the, the story you told about your son, was there like a spark when that happened for you to reflect on your practice as a kindergarten teacher or was you know, it something else that made you <laughs> think about what, what you were doing? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. Um, so in late October, the reading teacher at my school, Jennifer Jaden, she started asking questions. And now that I look back, I realized that she started to plant seeds in my mind of how kids learn to read. And she encouraged me to use only decodable text for guided reading groups and independent reading time. I distinctly remember digging my heels in at the lunchroom table. (laughs) This was this year at the very thought of changing my current practices. And I, I, I started immediately questioning her intentions. My thoughts were <laughs> the following questions. Is she trying to promote the purchase of different instructional resources? Does she realize we are teaching in the midst of a pandemic? Isn't that enough change for one year? So her questions are really what started to motivate me to show her that what she was telling me was not right. And I tried my best to defend my current practices. And yes, of course, I directly teach and encourage beginning readers to look at the pictures and you use their beginning sound power to guess at words because I want students to love books and view themselves as readers. So that's what I was trying to express to her. And then after I left that meeting, in my mind, I was bound and determined to show and prove to the reading teacher that my instructional <laughs> practices and resources, Lucy Cockins units of study for readers and writers workshop and phonics, I was wanting to determine and show her that it works. So as I, I went back to my classroom and I started analyzing my students' data with a new lens, and I saw that they had a deep need for short vowel work. And um, so vowel work became the focus of my lessons during shared reading group, during supplemental phonics lessons, and using word sorts and flashcards. So it was her questions that started to spark. It wasn't an interest in the science of reading (laughs) or an interest. (laughs) It was a determination to show what I have is working and we don't need to change anything. And can I continue? Is that okay? Yes, yes please do. <laughs> so in December, um, the reading teacher, Jennifer, she continued to plant seeds and she encouraged me to read David Kilpatrick's book, Equip for Reading Success. And even with an extended checkout time, I did not even <laughs> the book. let me tell you. And, but, um, so I returned the book, and as I plan for guided reading groups, I search for books with a variety of short vowel sounds. And what books did I find? 
decodable books. And I found decodable books were filled with multiple opportunities for students to practice short vowels and letter sounds. Sadly, I had to put on the shelf the recently purchased leveled books um, because the beginning level, even the beginning level text didn't offer the short vowel practice my students needed. Um, when I opened up a beginning level book, I saw long vowel patterns and that wasn't appropriate for, for them as a beginning reader, especially thank you, because Thank you for focused. explaining that. Yes. Thank you for explaining that. Cause that's what I was thinking. Like what was in the books that wasn't appropriate? I think that that's really important for listeners to hear. Like it's not following that scope and sequence of foundational skills that we know is appropriate, right? We have that research. <laughs> exactly. And not only was there long vowels, but there were patterns. So they weren't really forced to do a lot of heavy lifting with decoding skills. So, Absolutely. Uh, very, very good. Very good point. That's an excellent point, Kristen. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and then a couple, of, a couple of weeks went by and my students were progressing with their decoding skills. And during guided reading group, it, the kidney table that's nestled in the corner of my classroom was filled with kindergartners working diligently to blend sounds together to read words. As I listened to the letter sound chorus, a realization came to mind. Decodable texts provide purposeful practice. And then it thought, I thought, maybe this is why Jennifer wanted me to use decodable books. <laughs> But I was still very stubborn and I tried to convince myself that might be so. However, I'm not changing my instructional materials. I'm still using units of study because it works. That's what I hoped. And um, so the seeds that the reading teachers that she was planting, planting, they started to sprout and it caused conflict and confusion about my practices. I started questioning, can explicitly teaching a variety of reading strategies and decoding skills coincide? So then I reached out to a literacy consultant in the area. Of course, I was hoping that she would tell me that I need to stop using decodable text. <laughs> this was honestly, this instructional um, coach that I was reaching out to, she was the, the gal that led me in the Lucy Hawkins materials for teaching reading and writing. So I reached out to her and I and I asked her the questions, can explicitly teaching a variety of reading strategies and decoding skills coincide? And she, she said, Kristen, keep using decodable text. Then at the end of our conversation, I asked, okay, what is one professional book you would recommend that I read? And she looked, she, she said, Kristen, I would, I want you to read. Do you, do you want to guess what it was? I'm going to say one. <laughs> David Kilpatrick. Kilpatrick. Yes, it was David Kilpatrick's book. So this time I checked yeah. it out and I, started, I actually read it. And then um, in addition to reading, I, I really truly needed to build my own like phonological lexicon for the words that were in his book because that's a heavy read. Yeah. So um I, I started listening to his podcast and I started to listen to Emily Hanford podcast too. And that gave me some understanding and um, yeah, and guidance. And I'd love to share what I've learned so far, if that's okay. I'm not, I hope I'm not talking too much. <laughs> no, I mean, this is what a podcast is. We're interviewing you. This is <laughs> <Okay>. great. <laughs> so, um, no, so, I mean, well, I, I told just you I was going to learn. 
<laughs> yeah, I do want to name first though for like that. It, it, this is like super powerful because we're hearing your journey of what you did as an independent teacher. This is not like professional development. This is you learning on your own. And like all of the things that I'm hearing you say, you're building your own knowledge. You're grabbing at any resource that you can that is high quality that you're determining is, is like true science of reading, right? You're not sitting there just because the book has the sticker on it. It says science of reading. You're like, no, 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 this is, this is the actual <laughs> resource book I need to be reading. The, the book that's really hard and that you're building. I loved how you said that your own lexicon, because you are building that schema for yourself because you have to learn it first before you can teach that to kids. And it is not easy. Like it is hard to learn. Um, I remember i uh, went through foundations, uh, training for levels K and one. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I should have learned this in my master's program to be a reading specialist. Why didn't I learn this in my master's pro? You know, and it was a lot to learn. Melissa, did you, you didn't do that training too, right? Which one? That was the foundations training. No, I didn't. I've never done foundations. I did the letters training. Okay. You did letters. Yeah. So I mean, saying, yeah, you're learning all that good stuff. And (laughs) so you're building your own knowledge. Like, you're, I, I just commend you for that, Kristen. That's, and you're taking yourself on this journey of like, wait a minute, is everything that I think that I know not 100% accurate? And now I have to switch. And it's, that's hard to do alone. So yeah. good job. <laughs> it is. And something that stands out too is I have been teaching for 11 years. And so it's really easy to get stuck in, stuck in my ways. And mm-hmm. I've, I have invested a lot of time and um, a a lot of time and energy and family time to look at the resources that I am provided and write them in a way that is appropriate for my classroom Um, in past years. And to step away from that work, it's hard Mm because that's, that's my, that's kind of my, my work too, that my co-teachers and I, that we've worked on together and invested a lot of time in, um, and, but it, but it's so fascinating to get to see a progression of how kids learn to read. And I'm just shocked that I haven't paid attention to that progression before, because in, in, in reality, I was looking at the end result of, I want my kindergartners to be at what our district requires, a level D text by the end of kindergarten. And like my reading teacher, she would ask, well, what does that mean? What does a level D text really tell you? about them as a reader. And in the midst of teaching guided reading groups, I had kids sitting at my table that would leave kindergarten still at a level A. And it was just like they weren't moving. Well, they weren't moving because I wasn't teaching them and giving them strategies that they really needed to be independent and successful as as a reader. Um, I was it was really, truly now looking back, seeing that I was giving them strategies. Now I've learned that our strategies of poor readers. Um, and, but what I mean by part strategies of poor readers are using only the beginning sound of a word and then looking at the picture to guess the word. And I believe that philosophy with my own heart. And I tried to train my husband using that philosophy as he was working with my son with reading. And now I see the importance of looking at all of the string of letters so we can map those that letter string into our brains and connect it to all the letter sounds so we can store that word for long-term memory. And um, yeah, yeah. I was actually just about to ask you the question of like, because you kept saying like, I, what, when you 
first heard about this, you were saying like, no, what I'm doing is working. Right? I was going to ask you like, what, what was it that made you think like it's working, but you kind of just answered it. Um, but that's, that's really helpful to hear of like the, you know, like i I thought, I thought this was the thing to do, I, you know? <laughs> oh, definitely. With all my heart. And I wanted to defend that. And that was, that was what I was on a mission to do this school year was defend <laughs> that what we're doing, but I, what we have in place is working. Why change it? But um, now, now learning about this information is just like a light bulb is going off and, um, and that's okay. It is. Yeah. It's my 11th year of teaching and it's okay to have light bulbs go off, especially if I can reach even more kids. And, and especially if I can set kids up for literacy success, which is what I've been wanting to do in the past. I just, I just went down the wrong path in regards to, I, I thought I was following the right detour signs, but I was misled. Mm. And so (laughs) I just, um, I needed to get back on, on the right, on right path. Uh, so. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I often think I about the teachers sitting in your seat who are 30 years in and how hard that must be, you know, like, uh, I, I can't imagine. And, you know, a, a district leader 30 years in thinking this is the right decision and then impacting a whole district. There's so many there's so much magnitude to this conversation. Definitely. I would agree. I would agree. I would, I would hope and I would love to encourage the decision makers for literacy or for instructional materials, uh, for the individuals that get to purchase instructional materials for teachers. I would hope that they, would really get to sit down and research, do research um, for themselves on on how kids learn to read. And Mm -hmm. instead of just getting to be persuaded by a great, a great sales pitch, (laughs) honestly, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Within my journey of learning, I, I've learned if it's okay, if I could share what I've learned. Yeah. Our, our brains are wired to speak. And I hear Emily Hanford say that like all the time, our brains are wired to speak, but we must train our brains to read. And a solid proficiency in letter sounds and phonological awareness is crucial because they work together to store words in long-term memory. And yep. students must know the letter sounds to decode the word, but to make the word stick to long-term memory they have to connect each letter to a spoken sound, that phonological awareness. And that is an unseen process. And something too that a majority of students will learn to read despite the instruction they receive because somewhere along the line, they crack the code. But lots of students will struggle because they need explicit and systematic instruction in phonics and phonological awareness. I am using my district provided instructional materials of Lucy Calkins reading, writing, and phonics, but with a new lens in mind. I, I, I replace lessons that encourage students to look at the pictures, guess a word, or ask, does it look right, sound right, make sense? And I, I replace those lessons with decoding lessons. And Something else too is this year, I showed my students picture power at the beginning of the school year, but as soon as students started reading words in their books, I took picture of power away. We retired picture power because I wanted their focus to be on the letters. 
there became a point in time this school year where my determination shifted from trying to prove current instructional materials to having a sense of urgency to move students towards phonemic awareness proficiency and letter sound proficiency. And letters and letter sounds and phonemic awareness proficiency, I found this year, it's, it's truly different than just knowledge. Uh, I believe in my past practice, I led students to the knowledge within those areas instead of truly working with students progressing along a continuum towards proficiency. In Kilpatrick's book, um, he also helped me understand that some students are at the bottom end of the reading progression. As I read that in his book, a student of mine came to mind right away. I can remember sitting down with my principal on January 20th and just expressing to her my discouragement because um, this little girl that I work with, she wasn't showing growth, even though I was providing intervention to her. And I expressed discouragement because I know when she left my table, she didn't do the work. I did the heavy lifting for her. So that intervention was not appropriate. It, was, it, it wasn't meeting her where she needed to be. And my principal said, she just encouraged me. She said, change the intervention. That is fine. And focus on her needs. So I, we focused on phonemic awareness. And we also focused on letter sounds. Even though she didn't know her letter names, I was just thinking, what is going to be the biggest thing this year for her? And it will be letter sounds. So that's what we focused on this year. Um, Kristen, was the, was the intervention that you used, was it... Um, or that you were using, so the one before you transitioned to something appropriate, was it a purchased intervention or was it like a school-based created intervention or a teacher created, like how did you come about that intervention? Yeah, great question. We, um, it was a, it's interactive writing, just the sequences of interactive writing. So it would focus on um, letter sounds and it would also focus on um, writing sentences, re-reading um, uh, repetitive text. I'm not doing the best job of explaining it, but there, it's multi-process for interactive writing. That was the intervention that I was using. And, but I, I could just tell that she truly needed just letter sound focus. And that's what we focused on. And, um, I would hate, I wonder if that original intervention was too, too difficult. And she, like you needed to back up, right? So that's what I'm hearing you say. You needed to back up because phonemic awareness is the first step. And she didn't have that like accuracy in letter sound knowledge to be able to progress and continue down the continuum. I just want to recap. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that is exactly. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. <laughs> I greatly appreciate it. Yes. No, you sound, you are, you're doing an amazing, amazing job explaining all of this very difficult stuff. I'm just stamping that for my learning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, she came in the beginning of the school year, she only had, she had zero letter sounds. And um, then by, on the universal screener that we use, she could say six letter sounds in a minute. And so she was a student that we were contemplating retention or special education. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was neat to get to see how, when we focused on letter sounds, she just looked at me because I would give her her little card of letters that she was working on for the week. And she looked at me and said, why do I have this? And I said, because I want you to get, I want you to learn to read and you, you need to know these sounds so you can learn to read down the road. And she was like, okay. 
But, <laughs> and, but it was just neat that she had that question. And I had a spot in my classroom where uh, the, um, the ELL teacher could come and get the card so she knew what sound she was working on. The um, parent in my classroom could grab the card so she could just do a quick check. And so it was really a team effort of coming together and um, just helping her with her letter sounds. And she just made so many games. And um, so when the principal gave me permission to focus on letters instead of placing the student, and she also gave me permission not to place her in a guided reading group, which was huge because that was that was a belief that I held for my entire career that all kids should be in a book because I want them to perceive themselves as a reader. And, um, but now I had the understanding that my student wasn't ready to be in a book because she only had five letter sounds at the time. So and that you know, time I might have needed, yeah. <laughs> I was say the time that she had with you, she needed something else besides <laughs> struggling through a book, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yeah, um, yeah definitely. I'm thinking too, like the time that you had with her was really important. And then not that she never heard a book because I'm certain in our pre-call, like you mentioned, you read aloud to your class a whole lot, right? So she's still hearing uh, fluent oral reading, you're providing her with opportunities for listening comprehension and, and to have rich experiences with text. <laughs> in addition to in this time, she's just getting what she needs. Correct. In this, yep. um, this devoted time, just set aside for her. And something too, I believe it was in the Kilpatrick book where it was intermittent, like kind of sprinkling intervention time for her throughout the entire day. Instead of, instead of having a 15 minute block of time where we are dedicating on letter sounds, just sprinkling these interventions in throughout the day and being intentional with, okay, I've never had this sense of urgency before of, I, I was bound and determined that she would know her letter sounds by March. I, I was just <laughs> like, we, we need to have letter sounds by March. So then we can start working on blending blending, um, words. And, um, by when March came, I think she had three letter sounds, three or four letter sounds that she was still use, misusing and confusing. So I wouldn't say she had those mastered, but she was on her way to uh, working along that, um, progression to truly getting these letter sound knowledge. And, um, <laughs> it, it's just, amazing. it's just so exciting to get to see when you, when you step back and look at the gaps where students are at um, and say, how can I meet them where they're at? And, and, and it's not just for that student, but for the rest of my class too, because when I sat down, I think I mentioned earlier, but I didn't finish my thought with this. <laughs> at the end of the school year, I, in past years, I was so focused at getting my kids to a level D. And this year, I've never really paid attention to the progression that kids go through with learning how to decode words. And it's probably in some fancy diagram somewhere in a book I haven't read yet, but <laughs> I, I, I haven't known about this progression, but what I've, what I've noticed, there are kids that they have cracked the code, but then they come to blending 
the sounds together, but it's not accurate. Mm-hmm. Or I have some kids that they've cracked the code. Now they can blend the sounds together out loud, but now I want to start getting them to do blending in their head. And so just trying to start seeing, oh, the, this is the gap that I can see that I, my students need. My students need to have connected blending practice. I, we love, I love singing in my classroom. We sing every day, almost all the time. So it was just, I think, a strategy from the Florida Center for Reading Research. It said, you can sing the sounds. And so that was an easy addition in. Um, Kristen, before you keep yeah, going, I was, I was going to say that, you know, when you were talking that, you know, when you said about the level A and level D, right? And you're like, well, what does that even mean? And it's true, right? You're just like, well, they didn't make it to level D. I don't like, I don't know why, <laughs> right? But then to hear you talking and about like, she needs to have this many litter sounds by this time. And you were able to say like, okay, she has them all except these few and she's almost there, right? Like the, the level of like knowledge of what is going on with that student versus the like level A, level D conversation is huge. Yeah, it, ex- exactly. And, yeah. I, I can focus on specific skills that my students are not only just skills, but moving them along the progression. That's, yeah. that's what I just keep thinking of and, and how many steps there are and components that work along that progression too. And I, I truly know my students better as readers in, than I've ever have in past mm-hmm. years. Um, I can point, pinpoint my students of, it, it was so fun looking at my high, my high group of readers and uh, going through David Kilpatrick's book at the end with the phonological awareness tasks. And they said, oh, Mrs. Pavins, this is so easy. I said, okay. So I just moved on ahead a few lessons and I said, okay, everyone say fly. And they go fly. Now, now say fly, but instead of ol, say er. And they looked at me like, wide <laughs> eyes, as wide as you can get. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I was like, it's okay, you don't know this. This is okay, let's, let's practice from here. But it was so nice to be able to have that high group of readers and they're still working on those phoneme level, level skills and, and, and substituting skills. And it was great to get to stump them because then they got to see that they still truly had skills that they were working on too. Mm-hmm. And, and in past years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got to see another student that was a high reader, but um, I wouldn't have got to see that she truly struggled. When I gave her a nonsense word assessment, I would, I would use, I really needed to have guidance in the direction I was going with my students. So I started to assess letter sounds, one minute letter sounds. And I, I was tracking, okay, are, are they becoming more accurate with their letter sounds? And then also, are they, is their rate, are they becoming faster with how many sounds they are telling me in a minute? And then once they showed me growth within those skills, uh, then I w- was looking at, can they blend nonsense words? In the past, I didn't understand the value of nonsense words, but now I do. I understand. I gave them. They're a big ticket item. Nonsense words are a big ticket item. <laughs> it, it makes it, it makes sense now. Under, getting an understanding of orthographic mapping um, to see, well, my high readers, they could tr- probably read all the words on a CVC sh- sheet. But when I could give them a nonsense word assessment, I really got to see, oh, this student is confusing a and the short a and short u sound because of the word ah okay that's what we're going to focus on 
this student is confusing a variety of short vowel sounds. So even though I, they would have been at the end of the year kindergarten level book in an FNP in winter. However, we would not have, I would not have been focusing on foundational skills of short vowel work that they will need when they come to multisyllabic words right? and, yes. and how crucial, how crucial that is. So, so to slow down and to help me slow down and realize it's not about the level, it's about getting the skills um, in place. So um, yeah. I, I can think I, can one I thing one? that you said, oh yeah, oh. go ahead. Sorry. I was no. just going to say something that you said earlier that was impactful, but I'll hold you go. You go ahead. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so you had said earlier um, that like previously you could not really see what was happening in their head, um, that reading felt like something that wasn't visible. You didn't say exactly those words, but along those lines. So I feel like what you're now articulating is a very concrete, very visible process that (laughs) we can see, like you could see (laughs) where they are. So I feel like the science of reading for you took what was invisible and made it visible. Is that an accurate statement? It is. And I think when I was making the comment about an unseen process, I that was more so in regards to the process of orthographic mapping of that we don't get to see kids do when they are connecting. So yes, we get to see the scene process of them decode the word and then say that word. But then when they have that word in their brain, there's an unseen process happening. And that unseen process is where they are breaking that word apart and connecting the the speech sounds to each individual letter. And so it's my focus became not only to get them to read the word, but also to help them store words for long-term memory. And that's that orthographic mapping piece. And I just, I just think about, I've never had, I've never had data like I've had this year. I mean, out of 20, and I know it's, I think the reading teacher says the, um, that your data just shows so much information because when I, when I learned the way of teaching, uh, let's see, it's not a sight word, but it would be a irregular or irregular phonetic word. For example, Uh like the word was just using a different structure and teaching the word was how impactful that was. And, and that the way I taught was this year was just saying, okay, Today, we're going to learn the word was. Everyone say was. <laughs> and then we would use just little, at first, I just drew dots to show the sounds, was, okay? And then asking students, okay, what's the first sound you hear? Was, great. And then I would write the letter on the board. What's the next sound you hear? Uh, excellent. Usually, you says uh, but this is a letter we need to know by heart. It's actually the letter A. And then we would do the same process for um, the S too. And, and so just connecting, giving them an anchor point. Here's the letter sound that you truly know. And then these are the other letter sounds that you just need to know by heart. I think in past years, 
I have relied upon parents to use flashcards to help them with understanding or learning these words. And I've also worked on students with giving them goal words every week. And so I'm just thinking about the amount of time I saved this year just by using <laughs> this new approach. I mean, truly. And and I, I didn't recruit parents' help with learning, giving them, hey, write these words on flashcards, not saying flashcards are aren't appropriate if that that instruction has been provided first. If they have been given the the connections to the speech sounds and the regular sounds that the words are the letters are making, then I think it's appropriate for it to get on a flashcard. And I think that's what David Kilpatrick would say too. Um, but but it's so neat to get to see they they truly gain these letter these words. And I I believe it was the expectation for a universal screener for kindergartners is that they have, I believe it's either 12 or 13 words in a minute. Well, 20 out of 21 students had 30 words or more in a minute. Yay! And, and then I had some kids that were just reading all the words in 30 seconds. And, and it's, and it's just, it's, it's so exciting to, yeah. to get to see the data. And if you go back to the other, my other student who was working on letter sounds. So beginning of the year, universal screener, she had zero letter sounds. Middle of the year, she had six letter sounds. Then we changed intervention after that universal screener. And at the end of the year, she had 65 letter sounds in a minute. And not only did she pass the letter sound assessment, but she also passed the universal screener. And that is huge that she passed. And as I explained to our mom, I said, yes, we're really excited that she passed. And of course, there are gaps that she's still working in. But I think we set her up for future reading success. And I, yeah. I now have an understanding that a solid foundation of beginning literacy skills is one of the best gifts I can provide students for future reading success. Instead of the fleeting thought that they are a reader, a structured literacy foundation will be solid in comparison to a cracked foundation built on guessing. A foundation built on MSV portrays an avid reader. It portrays an avid reader. Yeah. But won't <laughs> support a reader for life. MSV will I, not I feel like a for life or even until third grade. No. And I feel like you, with that example of was, right? I, that is a great example of that. By teaching all of the sounds, <laughs> you're helping students encountering thousands and thousands, if, you know, uh, words that they're going to meet in the future, more than thousands. <laughs> but by using a flashcard with the word was on it, students learn one word. And they memorized it, right? Versus being able to access. So you gave them access to thousands upon thousands of other words in the future because they know those sounds versus that, versus one. There's like, yeah. to me, it's not even, <laughs> this I is was a thinking the same thing, Lori, because like, I mean, the ultimate, the, the goal for both of those, right, is that was becomes an automatic word that they see, right? But the way you went about doing it, like Lori just said, you know, goes in two totally different directions of like limiting versus opening up so many more possibilities for students for moving forward. And I see it at the secondary level, right? Because if they went down that first path and only learned was, sure, they can read was, but can they read other, you know, other words that they have not memorized like that? No. Yeah, <laughs> it, exactly. And just opening their, the realization to 
vowels do make more than two sounds. It's not just long and short vowel sounds. And yeah. this is the first time in my kindergarten classroom where my kin- my kindergartners know the schwa, know what schwa means. And uh, before I might even tell them, they'll say, is it a schwa sound, Mrs. Poppins? And, and so, and even going, not only the schwa sound was new, but also open and closed syllables. And, and we were working on with the word no. And my, the little girl that I had that knew zero letter sounds at the beginning of the school year, I wrote no on the board. And I just said, tell me, friends, why does the O say O? And she looked at me and she goes, there's no letter here. And I and she pointed to the end after O. She knew that there needed to be a consonant. She didn't have the word to say consonant. But I said, oh, you're right. There is no consonant here. And then I asked, is there anyone else that can tell me why does that O say O? Can you add more to that? And a student opened their, raised their hand and they said, well, this is happens. It's an open syllable. And it's just <laughs> gardeners. I mean, from... From my high readers to my low readers, they know the difference between an open and closed syllable. I talked to the reading teacher and I thought, my, can you imagine the success we could have next year if we start this earlier on? Now now I have a, a better, a yeah. little more understanding than I did. Um, I just think starting out this school year, I had no idea what Scarborough's reading rope was, the simple view of reading. I've never heard of Emily Hanford or David Kilpatrick. And um, just hearing- And when did you meet them? When did you meet them? When did all of, <laughs> like, what, give me, can you give us the month? That I started listening? I would say it was around- probably around December when I, when I spoke with that literacy consultant and then she said, you need to start reading David Kilpatrick's work. And I, I tell you what, I really did need to listen to the podcast so I could really gain my understanding and my prior knowledge. So then I could understand his book better, but, mm-hmm. um, but. And yeah. I'm just going to give a frame for listeners so that listeners know we don't normally timestamp the podcast, but it's June 7th. 2021. So you start, you probably began to implement some of this January, right? I'm going to assume you took some time in December to read and learn. And then, (laughs) well, actually I kind of read a little every evening. And then I went to the classroom with a new lens of what am I going to change today? So, okay. Okay. So December 2020, I really, I truly just wanted I honestly, I didn't even start at chapter one when I read his book because I was like, I need, I need, I want to know what I can apply to my classroom Mm -hmm. right now. And I think it was like chapters eight and 11 that I really thought, okay, this is what, this is the meat Uh, and not saying don't read his whole book. That's not what I'm encouraging you to do. I just, (laughs) I wanted practical application. And, but after I read, I kept turning the notes I'm the kind of person not very organized and I start taking notes like in the middle of a notebook. And so I started flipping through my notebook and I just kept seeing letter sound proficiency, phonemic awareness proficiency. And then that's where I received tunnel vision of that is my goal for my students moving along a progression of letter sound proficiency and phonemic awareness proficiency. In the past, I've had data notebooks where I would check off all letter sounds and digraphs and, oh, yep, you've got your letter sounds. That's that knowledge piece. But this year, I really got to focus on, no, it's more than just that they can tell me the sounds. I want them to have 
accuracy and, and, and the rate. And that was within the letter sound assessment, just the one minute assessments that I gave. So I could see, are they growing with their letter sounds? If not, what are they confusing? Lots of kids were confusing B and D. That's typical at this time because of that mirrored invariance where their brain is still learning that, oh, letters are letters and not an object. So I need to create the letter pathway in my brain. And so, yeah, it's just been, it's been an exciting journey. It's been an overwhelming journey. I will definitely say that there are some days I would step foot in my classroom thinking, what craziness have I gotten myself into? Because it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like I've changed my schedule four times. And, um, just because I needed to find something that was appropriate and was working well and, um, yeah, to help my students succeed. And can I ask how many years had you been using the program that you're currently using the curriculum that you're currently using before this year? Like how, I guess, what is the number of years you've been using this? Oh, I'm awful with time. I believe like we talked before. Well, COVID is like 10 years in and of itself. (laughs) I was like only, I think I told you I was only teaching for eight years and it's already been 11. So I'm awful with time. I would say. You did tell me that. And then I was like, oh, she said 11. (laughs) I'm so, I was like, oh yeah, I've been teaching kindergarten for eight years. The other three years I was in first grade. Uh, But no, I would say maybe five, six, seven years. I'm not really sure. I I, okay. I know our phonics program obviously came later um, around the time that Lucy Hawkins developed that. So yeah, I'm only asking because I, I just checked um, that comparing reading research to program design and um, uh, a lot of very important literacy people, you know, Tim Shanahan, uh, Tim Rosinski, uh, Marilyn Yeager Adams, Lily Wong Fillmore, some others, um, I can hyperlink it in the show notes. Uh, they, they did examine the teacher's college units of study and it's, uh, student achievement partners team. And it was in January, 2020. So I just get, did a quick glance as to the date. Cause I f- assumed that you had been, when you, when we talked that you'd been using it for quite a bit of time. And then that's why you were so invested in it. And, you know, I know you said stubborn, but um, invested and, and feeling like, well, I've been doing this for a decent amount of time and I'm hesitant to change because of that. But I feel like hearing you talk is just so Mm -hmm. inspiring. I just, I, I, I can't thank you enough for like, I I mean, just being who you are right now and giving (laughs) your students to, to hear that like 20 out of 21 and that other one is going to get there. I have no doubt (laughs) you will get her there. Well, and that was, and that was meaning just sight words. So that was the subcategory within sight words, but all 21 students, they passed the universal screener. Exactly. Even the, the the student that was at zero letter sounds in the fall. And I just think, you know, we have as a kindergarten team, we have other interventions like sight word interventions. And at first I had that student in sight word interventions. And I thought she's coming out of sight word interventions because it's not appropriate. How confusing will that be? She's learning. Right. I mean, irregular sounds within words. So it's like, no, we're pulling back. We are going to focus on this letter sounds. And, um, yeah. I mean, that's six months. I just, I have like, that is <laughs> stunning. Six months. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is that I talk with the reading teacher about is this. Okay, so at the beginning of next school year, I'm, I'm excited for next school year because I'm just like, what? I want to see this replicate. And I, I'm hoping that it's even replicating 
and, and showing even more growth within students because I'll be starting earlier on yep. and I'll get to yep. have that tunnel vision in the fall and compared to starting <laughs> in December, January. So with that tunnel vision, um, just, just knowing those foundational skills and fo- and being able to focus on that. And I think Kilpatrick kind of gave me like, okay, yeah, that's my mission as a kindergarten teacher. Letter sound proficiency, phonemic awareness proficiency. And I know that there are so many more components to Scarborough's reading rope. But um, this is where well, I think talking about journey. this one today is very important. You know? <laughs> yeah, this, this word level um, reading is, is where my journey is at right now. It doesn't mean I'm not going to branch in other components because, of course, the reading teacher, she is doing an awesome job of pl- continuing to plant seeds. And because she started to say, well, we also need content in too. So let's start adding yeah. the content. And that's, that's a great what I was reading teacher Kristen. there. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I want to, I'm, I'm curious, what's next on your reading list? Oh, well, I've been, I kind of check out a lot of books. And like I said, I don't always start at the beginning. And so I've been dabbling <laughs> in like the, um, I've been dab- dabbling in, I believe, is it Mark Seidenberg, the speed of, yeah, look, correct? got yeah. it right, right here. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, I had to return that. I didn't get to finish it yet, but I'm, 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 I'm that's I haven't finished it yet either, Kristen. Don't tell anyone. Yes. And I, and, and I'm working Melissa, through it. I am so like jealous of you getting to take that letters training. That is like, oh, I would love that. And awesome. um, that training, but I, I do have speech to print the workbook and um, the book. I've started that. I think that's going to possibly get to be in my summer reading. I, I did also get, um, and I should say, I also use the David Kilpatrick other book, I believe is it assessing and determining reading disability. I I'm horrible with names, but his that other one's book, on my bookshelf. Oh yeah. I like that book too. That one's really good. Um, so there's, there's quite the list that I have sitting on my um, shelf at home. So yeah, I'm, well, I'm hopeful, more like, I, I think um, you'd also mentioned when we talked in our pre-call, the knowledge gap. Oh yeah. I, yes. That's one. Yeah. Yes. You, so we had Wexler on our podcast a couple of times. So you'll have to listen to that too. Cause then it'll inspire you to, to read the book a little, but you know, I know that it's nice to hear the author talk and then read the book yeah. alongside of it. <laughs> well, and so, I, that is so true. That's great. Yes. I will have to dig into that. What I love about that and that we're having this conversation about that book, Knowledge Gap, is during my letters training, I actually heard a lot of teachers that I was taking it with who were like, why don't we just do this in kindergarten, first grade? Like why this meaning like phonemic awareness, phonics, like let's just forget about everything else. (laughs) Let's just do this. I know. And like heart attack. Right. But I remember, I think it was Tim Shanahan that said it. He's like, yeah, that would be great if you just want people who can like decode words <laughs> right like, but like zombies <laughs> right and like and and it's going to be great for your scores in kindergarten first grade second grade but as soon as they need to understand and comprehend like then you're going to start to see all the effects of they don't have any of the background knowledge they don't have the vocabulary and so you have to make the time for building that as well so I'm glad you're going into that side of the rope as well. <laughs> yes that's that's going to but it's but it's been interesting too because after learning about one little component, it just kind of feels like I kept asking the, the question, what's next? Mm-hmm. Because you just kind of get like an inkling of, 
what's the next step? What is the next step that I need to take? And um, then it became to content. And I was like looking around my classroom walls and I thought, they're pretty bare right now. We need to get some... uh, we need to get some content up on these walls. And so we started, my students started learning about plants. We started learning about living and non-living things. And then we started getting to learn about Christopher Columbus and uh, just Mount Rushmore. And I I just was truly searching for resources. And the, the reading teacher, she continued to point me in directions of resources that I could get my hands on. And the neat thing about it is, is that kids soak up that information. Like they really do. And they remember and retain it. And they're excited to share that information. They want to learn. And yeah, so it's, Kristen, it's, oh, sorry. It's funny. Cause I, um, I've been doing some wit and wisdom with Presley, um, this year. And she looked at me, um, obviously it's the end of our school year, but, and she's been doing regular school too. So kudos to her for doing it all. (laughs) Um, but she looked at me the other day and said, gosh, I've never learned this much about space. This is so cool. Like there, and I mean, everything from, she started talking about Galileo and I was like, you know, I didn't even know about Galileo (laughs) before we read this book, just so you know, like I was 39 before I learned about, like, not really, you know, but like really went deep into understanding the impact and his life. And how exciting is it that you're in third grade? She's like, I know. And all of these space, (laughs) you know, trips to the space trips to outer space. And it was, it just, the conversation and the level, the depth of conversation that a child can have when they have the knowledge, this, it makes me think all the time of, um, we podcasted with the Vermont Writing Collaborative. If you're looking for a good book, that might be a good one too. Um, Writing for Understanding. Mm -hmm. And I've listened to that podcast back, even though it's hard to listen to your own voice. Um, (laughs) But I've listened to that podcast back so many times because I feel like I learned so much about reading from hearing them talk about writing. Mm -hmm. And it it's just, I mean, I think I've listened to it at least three or four times at this point, and it's, I could listen to it again and take another piece of new information away. It's just really, really powerful to like, to have you keep asking a question like what's next, because mm-hmm. you're only going to continue to build your, your science of reading knowledge. And I'm hopeful that what's next is that you'll come back again and podcast with us next year. Yes. Would please. you do that? Oh, that would be great. I'd love to do that. Yes. <laughs> We would love that. I think that'd be so good. And by that time, we'll probably be on, um, what am I saying? On video. Video. Okay. That sounds great. Get ready, Kristen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) The hair and makeup comes on in. (laughs) Um, But we we are so grateful that you're here, Kristen. And Mm -hmm. I feel like you've shared so much incredible advice and information, but we always ask our guests to leave our listeners with just one piece of advice to, to finish us off? Uh, the piece of advice that I would leave is go slow to go fast. As you deepen your understanding of how and why the components of Scarborough's reading rope are interwoven to lead students toward independent literacy success. Go slow to go fast and understand the why and the how. Yeah. And read that Kilpatrick book. absolutely that's right and listen to the podcast and listen to Emily Hanford podcast too so just 
Yeah, there's yeah, and be, information, but don't get overwhelmed. I mean, yeah, you might feel overwhelmed and it's okay to go slow. We don't need to know all the information right away. That would be so overwhelming, not for ourselves, but also for our kids. And so, yeah, thank you be, so much. Be discerning Christine. too, right? <laughs> so good. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. I honestly, I, I loved listening to you because it felt like I was zooming into a your kindergarten classroom and your experience. So it was really, really fun to take that journey with you today. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for your time and for letting me share my story. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, we will look forward to your return where you get to update us next year. And we can't wait to hear about that. Maybe we'll do like, um, maybe we could do a series where it's like beginning of year. You I was share the same thing. <laughs> middle of year and end of year. That would be really cool to be like, Kristen's back. Where's her journey taking her now? I love it. I love it. That sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. We know you're very busy. You're a teacher. You're sitting in your classroom right now podcasting with us. So thank you. You're welcome. You're so welcome. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.